0: preaching stand is all warmed up already, thanks Ray. <laughs> Normally you come up here, it's cold, it's not today. <laughs> uh, for you right (laughs) sorry Jesus (laughs) he's good amen he's the center of everything Uh, the center of history right the center of all that's to come the center of salvation the center of our lives the center of creation jesus is the one whom we follow he's the one that we seek to know to understand to to hear from to hear his voice to to follow his lead to be like Him, Jesus. He's our example. He's our, he's our power. Amen. He's our brother. <laughs> he's our Savior. He's our God. He alone is worthy of our worship. Amen? Hallelujah. And Jesus... He's meek. <laughs> He's meek. This word meek is a strange one for us. Don't use it very often. Um, probably very few, if any in this room have ever used even the word, <laughs> except for maybe talking about Jesus. We don't, you know, describe ourselves usually as meek. We, it's not seen as a compliment to call someone else meek generally. It's just not a word that's really in our vocabulary. But meek is, uh, as a result, I think is a, it's a bit of an un- misunderstood word. And, and certainly there's been uh, some great pastors and scholars that have helped to kind of flesh that out. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think bottom line, meek, you know, you need other words To describe it to help uh, understand what it is meek is uh gentleness right it's being gentle matthew 11 you know 27 to 30 as we read it this morning verse 29 talks about jesus saying that he is gentle and lowly he's he's a meek shepherd he's a meek savior he's a meek lord It's gentle, but it's also humble. The one who is meek is also known for their humility. Meek is also patient and selfless. These are words that describe meek. I think it includes kind of love. Again these are separate words but all kind of maybe fit into meek. It's meek is someone who is willing to sacrifice. Meek is has compassion in it as well. Sometimes we can understand a word or a concept by w- understanding what it's not. And so some of the things that meek is not, it's not forceful. Meek is not demanding, it's not oppressive. Meek is not cruel or manipulative. The one who is meek is not ambitious, self-absorbed, or prideful. But also, the meek are not weak. The meek are not those who are easily kind of pushed over. The meek are not victims I think it's also important to note that meekness does not contradict boldness it doesn't contradict those who are determined and meek doesn't contradict the confident either You've probably heard uh, some that have talked about this word meek and they pull out the Greek word for meek, which is, has this perspective of power under control. Maybe you've heard that before. One of the uh, descriptions that I found as an illustration uh, of meek or power under control uh, is about a horse. Uh, Think about a horse that has not been broken yet. It bucks and it kicks, it resists the bit and the bridle. But when it gets used to the hand, the horse has dignity and poise. The animal is at peace, and it is altogether different. It is still a powerful creature, but it is is power under control. Power under control certainly describes God, right? Right? Describes Jesus, power under control. Jesus, God, right? They're, they're the, they have the power to create and to destroy. They have this massive power, but it's not just, you know, there's no lashing out of anger. There's no just kind of willy nilly way of the way it works. It's like, it's not just like wild, it's under control. God creates on purpose. And he destroys on purpose. God has the power to judge the wicked, but he also has the power to save. And again, not wild judging, and we just don't know for sure what he's gonna judge or what his judgment's gonna be. And not wild salvation where he's just kind of like saves everybody or nobody or whatever, but no, it's purposeful judgment. It's power under control, it's salvation under control another aspect of actually God's power being under control is this reality that God for some reason chooses to submit to man's free will we see throughout scripture God doesn't force people to worship him he doesn't force people to come and follow him Even with Abram, he asks the question. He says, Abram, follow me. But it's a question. Abram has the freedom to choose to follow or to reject the call. God, despite his power, he has the power to force us to do whatever he wants, to force all of creation to submit to his will. But for whatever reason, this meek Savior This meek God has chosen to allow us to make that free choice. We are free to reject him. We are free to rebel against him. Even in times when it seems like God's wrath just kind of wildly lashes out like in the story of Uzziah in the Old Testament, Second Samuel chapter 6, David's bringing the, 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 the ark to Jerusalem. And they're carrying an ox and this kind of stuff. And, and, and the ox stumble a little bit. And Uzziah steps out to try to stop the ark from falling. Seems like this is a good thing. And God strikes him down. We think, oh my gosh, this is a wild God. We don't know what he's going to do. No, no, no. God knew. God was purposeful. God was meaningful. God did this on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just his, his holiness lashing out. There was reason to it. Whether we can see it or not. There was purpose to it, whether we can see it or not. God is meek. He doesn't manipulate us into his kingdom. He doesn't threaten us into his kingdom. Oftentimes we can see God, you know, the teaching about hell as being a threat from God. That God is standing up. You better believe in me. You better worship me. And if you don't, you're going to get punished in hell. This is not the God who we love and serve and worship. We have a God like any good parent. Not that we are the example of God, but he is the example to us. But he's a God like any good parent who, who, who sees the danger and in seeing the danger knows that he's got to tell his children he's got to warn them the, the the passages about hell are not a threat they're a warning not a warning like because i'm gonna hurt you no, because that's a warning because it's out there it's a reality he's a perfect god he loves us deeply. He desires intimacy with us. But, if we, but he also allows us to choose to reject us, choose to, re, to rebel, him, rebel against him. He allows us to do that. And in allowing that, we need to understand that if we make that choice, there is danger in it. There is punishment that comes, not because he wants to destroy, but because he loves you and he wants you to know that if you reject him, This is the consequences. This is the reality of creation. This is the way it is. Jesus is meek. He has phenomenal cosmic power. Yet it's under control. And because Jesus is who he is, and because we seek to follow him, we should be like him. We should seek as the people of God. We should seek as the body of Christ to be meek as well. Meek in the sense that we recognize that God is all-powerful. But because he's a meek God and he doesn't force or manipulate or or threaten people into the kingdom, as we operate as the people of God, as the body of Christ, we don't do that with our evangelism either. We don't threaten people into the kingdom, we don't manipulate them, them into the kingdom. We love them. We're humble, we're patient, we're gentle. For us as human beings, there's another aspect of meekness, because the reality is, is God has created us with power as well. Free will is our power. And we need that power under control. Because we can use our free will to do great and mighty and beautiful and powerful things, or we can use that free will to destroy, to inflict pain, to harm. This is this reality that even though we have this all-powerful and we believe sovereign God, He has allowed us to have a say in how our life progresses, how we treat others. He allows us to hurt ourselves. He allows us to hurt others. We can choose that. Sometimes we wish he would take that away. But it's, an, it's a powerful and important truth that we understand that we will be held accountable for our own choices. Even as Christians who have the blood of Jesus that's washed over us, we can expect that someday we too will be judged for all the things that we've done in the flesh. All the words that we've spoken, all the actions that we've done, we will have to face judgment for those things. Now, for again, for us as, as those in the in the body of Christ, that judgment comes with grace as well. Yes, hallelujah, amen. And so we have this other power. We have, of course, the power of God as Christians. And understanding that power under control and making sure that we, uh, we minister and we go on mission as Jesus does with that meekness, that power under control. But we also need to get our free will under control, which means we need to submit that free will to Jesus. We need to be submissive to his will. We need to choose good as he empowers us to follow him in it. We need to choose unselfishness and surrender. We need to choose to love our enemies. We need to choose to allow him to have control of every word that we speak and every step that we take in this world. This is the example set for us by Jesus, and because It's an example set for us by Jesus, and we, again, are the body of Christ. We want to walk with him in it. Chapter today that we'll read is Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the world of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country, and where they preached the gospel, continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed to them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia, Pisidia, I can do this, Pisidia, and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together... They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained a little time with the disciples. It can be a temptation to see Paul's boldness, especially in the previous chapter, facing up against his Jews and facing uh, different uh, uh, persecutions. We can, there can be a temptation to see Paul's boldness as being someone who is un, who's not meek. That he's that he's forcing himself and forcing the gospel into these different cities. That he's going in there boldly, but he's going in there and, and demanding things and and making things happen. And certainly, Paul has a reputation of kind of being this bowl in a china shop sometimes. And and I think that's not so necessarily wrong like i mean you consider some of what paul did and some of what he said and there is you know you kind of see it right pre-christ right standing you know and watching stephen be stoned right before he gives his life to Christ. Also, going and pursuing those who disagree with him, right? To, to persecute them, to put them into jail, to, to, to martyr them if need be, right? Whatever, like the, you can see this in Paul, right? Even post-Christ, you know, uh, we have uh, you know John in the previous chapter, John Mark was with, with, with Paul and we know later on, Paul's like, hey, this John Mark wants to, no, he's not going with it. He, he, he bailed on us last time, right? So you can kind of see this boldness and this kind of demanding, you know, kind of personality of Paul and I'm not saying he's not that, but I think we see in this chapter how God has begun, how Jesus has begun to transform him into a meek man. And how he does ministry as Jesus did ministry with gentleness, with patience, in humility. We see in Iconium, first of all, he shows up in this town, and he has this compassion for the lost, even when he's criticized. Immediately after getting there, there's this, this rise of the Jews who didn't believe, and they begin to argue with him, and they begin to kind of contradict him, and there's this, there's this debate and, this decision, and, this, and these conversations that are going on. Certainly, I, I think maybe there was some temptation in Paul and can be temptation in us when we face these kind of criticisms or this kind of conflict to, to, to kind of force our will. I, I, I know, uh, you know, as a, I grew up in a, in a family, especially my dad, my mom, she's sweet. My dad, he's like, let's go. And no, he's a great guy. Uh, but, but we, we love to debate in our family. Like, and we had so many great debates on, you know, the, sitting on the kitchen counter. That's where we did our debates. And uh, my mom would be in the other room and cause she didn't like the debate, but we would, and we would, it would get heated. We would, you know, but, uh, but oftentimes I, I know in the middle of the battle of a debate on whatever topic it was with my dad, there was, there was, you know, oftentimes this, this like realization that I'm about ready to lose this Debate, right? <laughs> and, and, and so, in the midst of that, I'm like, "No, no, I'm not going to lose it." So I get even more passionate to try to drive home this point, even more so, you know, kind of thing, right? And, and I think there's a tendency in us sometimes, depending on our personality, when things get tight, when when the criticisms begin to come, when uh, our motives begin to be questioned, that we can rise up in the midst of that and think, "No, I've got to force my will. I got no, that's not no." And we can get really passionate. And dive in. But we see here. Paul doesn't do that. He's gentle with them. He lets them freely choose. Who they're going to believe. Him. Or these Jews that are. Uh, you know, Contradicting him. He's humble with them. He respects their belief. Or their unbelief. Also in times of. Tension, And when we're facing criticism, the other thing we can do sometimes is to pull back, to cower in fear. But notice that Paul is not easily silenced. He's not forcing himself on them. He's not demanding that they believe. He's not pushing in and making his way. But he's also not walking away. Notice he stays for a long time with them. Despite the tension, despite the criticism, he stays. He loves them. He's patient with them. He has the courage to stay. Then in Lystra, we see uh, uh, you know, a different experience. Starts off with this healing And then there's this worship thing where they're all trying to worship him and Barnabas. Sacrifice for him and calling him Zeus and Hermes. Crazy. And there's a big story behind that. We're not gonna get into that, but there's a big reason why they did that. But we see here that Paul, first of all, I see see Paul surrendering to God's will in this. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, we we assume things about scripture that are that i don't know that they're actually there and one of the things i think that sometimes we assume is that you know paul steps out and heals this m- crippled man from birth i mean this is an this is a crazy miracle right never walked before and he bounced up and he's dancing. Like, this is i mean it's happened before but this is crazy right but anyway so but we we see paul heal this crippled man we think oh well he healed a bunch of them but they just told us this one i, I don't i don't think we should assume that I I think we should assume that there was a lot of people who were crippled, a lot of people who were sick and who were needing healing, but Paul just healed this one. And in order to do that, take surrender to God's will. We oftentimes can walk into a situation and, and, and we, you know, we know God loves everyone. We know God is the great healer. And we know all the passages that talk about by his stripes we are healed. And, we, and, we, and so we, we walk into a situation and we think that you know, everyone should get healed right now. And that we should pray for everyone to get healed right now. And I think you know, we need to be careful that with, with our prayers for healing. We need to surrender our heart's desire for our friends, our family, for anyone that we know to get healed. We need to surrender that desire to God's will and not just do our will. Again, this is meekness. The brother and sister in Christ who allows their free will to be surrendered to his will are the ones who are meek, power under control. Notice again here, Paul, he looks intently. This happens over and over again in Acts. Something's going on here. I wish they described this more fully. Like Paul saw like this dove fall down on this guy. And so he knew that he was supposed to go pray. Whatever, I don't know what's going on. We just know that Paul looked intently and this happens many other times in Acts, but he looks intently and then he knows. He sees with spiritual eyes what's going on in this man and that God has chosen to heal him. And now is the time. We also see, um, as the results of this healing and, and the worship, the whole town comes together to, to offer sacrifices to him and Barnabas, we see that Paul you know, lets go of his ambition. I, I, I think it can be really easy in our world, especially, and I think in his, just as human beings, to receive praise, to receive worship. I can imagine that there perhaps was temptation for even Paul and Barnabas, because after all, the whole city is now gathering around. I mean, perhaps, you know, this is a way for God to, you know, do a greater work, right? Perhaps this is a God, you know, God's going to do something amazing in this. And so we got to allow the praise. We got to allow the glory. We got to allow this thing to happen for a bit so that we can, you know, kind of have a greater ministry. We can have a greater impact. I remember when I was uh, first got into the ministry, I was a a, a Bible vocational at the time. Maybe it'd been in my first church, Ferndale, Washington, for like maybe a year, year and a half, two years and a couple in the church invite my wife and, uh, and I over to dinner. And, you know, it's one of these, um, you know, kind of bait and switch things. Yeah, hey, we want just kind of get to know you. And then you get there and they're like, hey, we want to tell you about Amway. Like, oh. um, so I really love them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so but uh, part of the pitch, part of the pitch was that, Sean, I mean, just think. If you were independently wealthy how much ministry you could do without having to worry about getting paid for it. And, and and I and I think that can be a temptation that we think, you know, if I just make a little bit more, if I if I can really get this really big job or I could get this really big promotion, or if I get this really big, then then I'm gonna have enough money so that I'm gonna have time to do more things or I'm gonna be able to retire sooner so that I can be, able, you know what I'm saying? we, Or, or we think if we just get a little bit of glory. If we get a little bit of attention, if we get some people to, hey, boy, you, you, I really heard about you. I know about you. Like social media, like, oh, I'm gonna start pushing my name on social media. Have you heard about Pastor Sean? He's amazing. Oh my gosh, you should watch his stuff, right? You know, this kind of thing, right? You know, that we can get that attention. We can get that glory. We can get our, our views up. We can get our likes up, right? And then we can use that for his glory. But is it his will? This is what we don't know, right? I, I think we, we presume. We have to let go of our ambition. We have to turn away any worship or praise that comes our way and point it to Jesus. We are not here to build our kingdom or to build a great kingdom for Jesus. We are here to be intimate with him and to do whatever he's doing around us, to join him. Moving on to Antioch. Basically, he makes this tour now, Paul, going back. And I want to say this about Lystra as well. Like, this is amazing. Like, so he gets stoned, Paul does, right? Now, whether he actually died or not, we don't know. It doesn't really say that. So it, was, it was, they thought he was dead, right? So they dragged him out of the city, right? And then the disciples come around him and then he gets up and, and what does he do? He goes back into the city, first of all, which like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but, but more than that, after he goes to Derby, he comes back to Lystra, This is is crazy to me, right? But but I think it shows the sacrificial nature of Paul. God is transforming his heart. That he's not going to avoid this. But more than that, here's the deal. He's, He's willing to turn the other cheek. And this is what meek people do. When they get struck, they don't strike back. They receive the attack. But because they love the person, they can see the bigger picture. They can see the spiritual realities. And they choose to continue to engage. Continue to seek to reveal the name of Jesus to their enemies. And then in Antioch, as he's going back through, and, and, and I love how he's so humble about his ministry he and Barnabas don't like go back to all of the, the different you know, cities where he started churches and said, okay, I'll be back in, in, in a couple of weeks and check on you. I'm your pastor. I'm going to do all this. Kind of, you know, I've, you just, just listen to me. Don't listen to anybody else. You know, that I'm, your, I'm your leader. I'm your pastor. I'm the one you've got to pay attention to. No, no, no. He goes into these cities as he's heading back to his sending city, right, Antioch. He, he's, he stops and he, and he points elders in each of these churches. He's like, you know, it's, this is not about me. This is not my church. This is not my people. This is God's people. And so he entrusts, you know, as the Lord directs him, to, to appoint other leaders in these churches to stand up and, and to be there on a day to day basis, week to week basis with these churches to help them to mature and understand who God is and Jesus is and what he's calling them to. He trusts Jesus. Paul trusts Jesus as the head of the church. It's not about him making sure that things continue. It can be a great temptation for us as leaders, those in leadership positions, for pastors to think, trust me, I'm, the Lord is tearing this out of my heart as well, to think that, you know, I can do it better or I can do it, it's easier for me just to do it. These, these, that's not how God's church operates he. Jesus is the head. He's the one that distributes the work. I also love how when he gets back to Antioch that uh, Paul and Barnabas report back to the sending church. He's like accountable. He's not just, you know, out on his own doing his own thing, and nobody can talk about it. He, He comes back and gives a praise report of all that God was doing with them through their ministry. As they were out, the Gentiles believing he was accountable to the church. He gave God the glory. Jesus. Hmm. He's our savior. He loves us deeply. He's a powerful powerful God. He's sovereign in control he's good he wants great things he's always doing good things he's always at work he's always pursuing the lost he's always seeking greater intimacy with us he's always doing his thing (laughs) he's always leading are we following When he calls us to ministry, when he calls us to the mission field, he doesn't call us to do it under our own authority, our own strength. He doesn't call us to do it alone. He doesn't call us to do it to build our own kingdom. He doesn't call us to build our own, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh, confidence in ourselves. He doesn't do it so that we can get the glory. When he calls us to ministry, when he calls us to mission, he calls us to join him and to follow him and to do it with him. The way that he is doing it. As he begins to send us to the streets, as he begins to send us to the states and to the nations... May we seek to follow, but may we also surrender our free will to his will. Allow him to be the one that determines not just the direction that we go to, but what we do in the moment. That he would be the one who directs our ministry. That he would direct who we speak to, who we don't speak to, who we heal, who we don't heal, who we, who we share the gospel with, who we don't share the gospel. He is the one. That we keep our eyes on. And he is the one that we follow. He is a meek savior. He never forces himself on us. May we never force any in Jesus on anyone. May we always lay him out. As the loving father and good man that he is. That has so much for us. That he wants to do. When we lay it out. When we give examples from our own life. And those around us that we know. Of his goodness. Of his power. Of his things that he has for all of us. May we do it that way. As Jesus is with us. As he empowers us. as he directs, so that he gets the glory. May we be meek in our ministry like Jesus. May we be meek in our mission like Jesus. Paul, it seems, is oftentimes seen as a man who's forceful, and demanding, and bold. And certainly, I think he was. But we see over time how the Holy Spirit's work in Paul softens Paul, changes Paul, transforms Paul into to become more like Jesus. May we each allow Holy Spirit to move in us, to change us, to transform us, so that every one of us tomorrow looks more like Jesus than we do today. Amen? Alright, worship team, why don't you come on up? Is Jesus transforming your character? Is he chipping off those sharp edges? Would you describe yourself as being meek? Or do you still struggle with ambition and arrogance? You struggle to fight away that manipulative streak that you have? Or maybe are you one that is always playing the victim, easily silenced, always defeated. These are the things that are not meek. May we allow the Holy Spirit and Jesus to develop true meekness in each and every one of us for his glory and for our blessing. Amen. Heavenly Father, you indeed are worthy. Thank you for sending your son to do so much for us, but most, uh, but also for sending him to be that example for us. But he's not just an example in the past, Lord. Jesus is alive today. Jesus, help us to see you. Help us to see what you're doing right now all around us in our life. And Lord, help us to join you. Help us to serve like you serve. Lord, help us to to share the gospel like you share the gospel. Lord, help us to heal like you heal. Help us to bring freedom like you bring freedom. Lord, we want to be like you. We need you more and more. Reveal yourself to us. Empower us. Transform us to be more like you. Help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In Jesus' name. Thank you, church, for being here with us this morning. Uh, We're going to continue to worship in here in this room. And if you would like to go in fellowship, please do so out in the fellowship hall area. Allow this room to remain to to be worshipful here. If you would like prayer, we would love to pray for you as well. If something in the message just kind of is poking at you and you need someone to come alongside you and pray and you just want to speak it out with someone, we would love to pray for you. If you feel like you've got some sickness that you would like some prayer for healing for, come forward. We'll pray with you over whatever the Lord gives us to pray in that moment. So, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in this room. But let's continue to worship here. A couple more songs. Uh, Go ahead and head out in the fellowship hall if you'd like to and fellowship together. May that be sweet as well. And may God bless you today.